This is an ultimate global podcast. Hello, and welcome to our special weekly podcast on trending international and social affairs. You're listening to Saurabh Kora and George Mavros from Sydney. Well, welcome again to another exciting series of episodes that we are covering here on uh, the Ultimate Global Podcast. It's a very special series of episodes that we are doing on environment and sustainability. We've just done uh, two or three episodes in this specific series. So pretty excited uh, to have another guest uh, to add up to the pile. Um, and I'm sure this is going to ha- be another exciting round of discussion around sustainability and also around how, how people in, in companies can contribute towards that. So we're joined by a special guest, Afonso Fermo, he's the co-founder and director of uh, Netnada. Um, and what Netnada is doing currently is they're helping companies measure, report and reduce their greenhouse carbon emission, greenhouse gas emissions. And they're also building a sustainability software. Uh, so if you read uh, Afonso's LinkedIn profile, it's a very interesting uh, LinkedIn headline, very different from others. What he says is he's trying to build a sustainability software so that his grandchildren have got a planet to live in. Um, not taking it, not taking it that far. I thought the governments are planning to do something by 2030, Afonso. You're taking it to the, your grandchildren's time. So that's that's not a very good deadline. Looking from a political lens, but we are going to discuss about all of those things. Um, to start off with, Afonso, do you want to introduce yourself to the audience and tell us a bit more about? Uh, what you do at Netnada? Definitely. Fantastic. Thanks for the introduction. And I hope the, the pile of sustainability experts is, is growing quite quickly and they all have something uh, useful to, to share. So, yeah, I'm, the, I'm an environmental engineer and the co-founder of, of Netnada. And what we try to, to help companies and, and, and businesses do is understand uh, what are those business emissions and not only stop there, but actually be proactive and, and, and make the changes. Um, especially one of the problems that we uncover is that for a lot of businesses, a lot of those emissions, you know, up to 90% are in what's called a supply chain. So like um, up the chain and down the chain. And we uh, fast track the process of understanding who suppliers are contributing the most, uh, the data that they have, how can they improve and build a bit of a, a supply chain transparency so people can select one versus the other. They can de-risk the supply chain and kind of help everyone uh, uplift. So like you said, uh, hopefully in the future, we still have a plan and so my potential to live in because we only have sustainable businesses operating in, in the planet. That's right. So uh, how do you think that businesses can drive that, Afonso, through, through their systems and employees? Because it's always about um, what kind of message you deliver to your employees and what kind of... Uh, things that you do as, as a leadership team, which kind of reflects in your actions uh, and in your behavior towards your customers. So what's the role of the businesses in kind of empowering their employees in this? Yeah, definitely. What, what we found, which is really interesting, is you know everyone is probably aware of things like new legislation changing in terms of having to, to report on business emissions, especially for like, like large cap businesses. Um, people are aware of uh, changes in government tendering, People are aware that like your clients are now requesting you to be carbon neutral or to at least share what's your like net zero goals. 
And the important thing with all of this is that it touches a lot of business uh, departments or a lot of like different skill sets. So finance is involved because carbon accounting is also like an accounting uh, action. Procurement is involved, changing the tendering process. Sales teams are involved because they need to, to deal with different like business values. Uh, HR is involved because you can only attract employees who want to work on um, uh, sustainability oriented companies. And so the system is you need to have a centralized place to have accurate data that is compliant that your employees can trust to drive action from that. And that's why the role of the consultant versus the role of the software are very closely merging together because to build something that, that scales, you can't be a consultant. You need to empower people with the tools to do it themselves and to know that it's accurate. So in terms of like your question about systems, about how they operate is we know that everyone wants to be involved. How can you build a centralized place that allows them to like make those, those decisions and, and, and drive change? So you talked about different departments here, uh, like HR, procurement, and other department. But is there any, any department specifically which plays a more important role than others in that yeah. business? We, we identified two, two main um, departments or, or, or types of, of, of decision makers that are heavily involved. One is that the finance or people dealing with accounting because um, a lot of your business emissions accounting or, you know, uh, carbon accounting is derived from your regular financial accounting. Um, secondly, the ones that will have to put these reports together in like their financial disclosure, disclosures will now also have to do climate disclosures. So they need to have this data. They need to have these numbers ready to be able to, to comply, being that if you're ASX listed or, 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 or on like a different reporting uh, framework. And then finally, in terms of like change making, um procurement is very important because it's up to you imagine if you are like a larger company uh dexes and property or a bank if you change your procurement guidelines you're going to force every supplier to now have to be more sustainable if they want to work with you so things like universities as an example uh even government uh procurement which is you know it's the federal procurement is about 22 percent of 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 the whole kind of gdp of australia around those numbers they change one thing about selecting sustainable suppliers and the trickle-down effect is, is huge. Yep. Um, George, coming back to you now, um, you've worked with a lot of businesses and what Alfonso is talking about here is, um, of course, for larger organizations uh, and also for, I would say, small and mid-tier companies as well. You know, uh, every, every business is a part of our economy. Uh, what role do you think they kind of play as well um, in contributing towards uh, empowering their employees uh, with a better knowledge on business emissions? And do you have any questions for Afonso? Well, when you consider that um, small, medium enterprise makes up the majority of the, the um, employees in the, in the workforce, um, and then you also have um, uh, in Australia, in New South Wales, I think the largest employer is the government. So you've got two very big sections there uh, that you have to get this through. I guess my question to Afonso is um, a lot of this is going over the, my head for most people. Most people go, what is all this about? They don't really understand. So if I was going to be your champion and I was going to go out and talk to uh, small, medium businesses, what would be two or three things that I would actually open the conversation with 
or how would I how would I get them to understand it? Because um, if I if I sit down to talk to a business about micro macro economics uh, rather than if I train your sales team and they'll sell more and you'll make more profit, that they understand. But when I talk about the economic and all the Porter's five P's and all that, the a lot of a lot of companies that's not what they they're there for. So what would be two or three things that that your your champion would be going out and saying to to businesses? Yeah, definitely. And that's a very good point because while, like you said, I might have something on my LinkedIn bio about you know saving the planet. Not everyone at the moment thinks that way, but we need to find different drivers to to have businesses take action. We believe that no is not that one answer for every single business, but you can verticalize in industries that work really well. Things like professional services businesses, the way to kind of motivate them instead of, instead of talking about like macroeconomics is we can assure you that in a very near time, um, if you want to work with a larger company and provide your services, they'll want to ask you for you to become a sustainable supplier, right? And that's simple. Like well, how to achieve that doesn't matter. There might be tools like NetMatter or Consultant, but what's going to happen? You might lose a deal, right? You might lose your big, biggest clients if you don't have these things in place, right? So that's from like a sales uh, perspective, real clear. Yeah. Um, same thing as, you know, in the past, if you are trying to work with, you know, like banking data or so forth, if you don't have ISOs, like, you know, um, security in place, you just can't access the, the, the data. Um, in terms of other businesses, like um, still, I think within like professional services, talent is very competitive. So you tell them there's these young people entering the workforce. They are choosing not only companies to work on based on salary, but also where are their sustainability goals. And you're going to miss out on this talent. So your cost of acquiring talent is going to be more expensive. So that's cost saving in there and new deal flows in the pipeline just from hitting those things. Um, in things like procurement, procurement finance, um, banking, manufacturing, it's going to be a lot about like compliance. You won't be able to, you know, have a product in the market that hasn't had certain certifications. If you are, let's say, a concrete manufacturer, you won't be able to supply to government if you don't have uh, a sustainability analysis on your product. So there's a, there's there's different industries who are really about like legislation and compliance, and it's at the end of the day to make sales. If you don't comply, you not you cannot enter the market. You're going to lose that share of the market. Okay. And so then the next question from that is how? What do I do? How do I do that as a small business? Do I go out and plant trees? Do I, What is it that I'm supposed to be doing to, to um, uh, be compliant and attract the right people that want to come and work for me? Look, if you want to go plant trees in your own backyard, please do so. But in terms of uh, a business sense, there's a couple of steps you can do before beforehand. Um, one is what we like to like say, map your current um, supplier, like your current clients, and understand the ones who might be in areas who are going to request this information first, so you can build for them. In terms of how to actually get there, you have a couple options. You can do it internally. There's published frameworks, published methodologies you can follow with your own resources. Alternatively, uh, you can get a consultant to kind of provide some insight and some strategy, maybe actually hands-on. And lastly, is softwares like, like NetNada, which allow you to do this process of measuring your emissions, which is the first step 
to then be compliant and get anything from carbon neutrality, from B Corp, etc., as as the end goal. Um, the, the 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 step of achieving that is quite simple. It's basic math in a sense, as long as you follow the the right methodology. Uh, in the net nada process, is about sending us your expense data plus electricity data plus a range of other data points, and we build this picture of emissions of your business, and we build reports on top of that. Why the picture is important, like where are your emissions come from? Because if you're going to spend a dollar on a sustainability initiative for your own company, you want to make sure it's in the area that has a, a, a positive impact. Therefore, if travel, employee travel is big for your business, let's invest on minimizing traveling or making like carbon neutral flights or understanding how we get to conferences and work meetings and so forth. But let's not do that if most of your emissions are coming from the goods you purchase. Right, and it's about picking suppliers who are doing sustainable manu sustainability manufacturing, suppliers who are being transparent about, about those emissions. So it's really important to have like not only just a number; these are my emissions, how many trees you have to plant, but understand this is where they're coming from. Let's now deep dive into that. And to the initial point is, as more businesses do that, you are an SME, and now you have a number. That larger supplier is going to pick you to be the supplier because you already have the numbers. A good example is Amazon is requesting every single supplier that I think it's starting in 2024 to give them their emissions numbers and their net zero targets in order to work with Amazon, right? And for most, Amazon might be your biggest client, might, might fund 50% of your business. So you don't want to miss that opportunity. And that's how people start thinking about how, how to do that. And where does, where does Amazon sit in the, in the register as far as, uh, practicing what they preach? I think in terms of, of transparency, it's quite high. Again, I don't have all the information at, at, at hand right now, but I think one of the biggest steps we're seeing is that the moment you are transparent about what you're doing, you allow others to poke holes in it and it kind of actually speeds up the process of, of you having to improve because if you change your procurement policy and someone feels like, you know what, this is too shallow or this is too hard, same thing that it's happening today with um, ISSP targets in Australia and mandatory compliance in terms of like climate disclosure is in this consultation process that the government has had with businesses about the new legislation is going to come in in 2024. They can then get feedback because of being transparent about what they're doing. This is too hard for me to do. I don't have money for this or I don't have the expertise for this. A lot of companies are saying there's a knowledge gap in terms of the, how internally they can actually build these climate disclosures and say that assurance is going to be a big problem. So I think the first step of communicating what you're doing allows to speed up that process in terms of like, are you, preach, are you doing what you're preaching in terms of, of sustainability? I think one of the interesting points Afonso you shared is the moment you kind of link these emissions to the sales of a company and then the leadership team kind of starts thinking about it that you know, it's, it, it's in fact affecting our profits. It's in fact affecting our financial statements because um, a lot of leadership teams are still driven by financials, uh, are driven by profits uh, rather than creating purpose. Um, and that's what I see a lot of the times they put a lot of things in their sustainability reports and they create all kinds of ESG reports. Uh, but when it comes to taking actions, very few will really make impactful uh, action. And I think this is, this is a good question for you. What kind of really drives the leadership teams that you have worked with recently 
who are actually taking actions in the right direction for sustainability yeah um just before i step into that one thing about like leadership in in what is happening as well is think about it this way under the new uh legislations about mandatory uh disclosures um companies will have to give two scenarios they have to give a scenario where they align with 1.5 degrees target and one that doesn't now imagine that you have a business that runs ecotourism in the blue mountains in new south wales right and this this projection let's say has to go for five years you will have to tell your stakeholders that by the way we won't be able to book as many tours in the in the Blue Mountains and eco resorts because part of the Blue Mountains will most likely be on fire for a certain period of the month. So your finance team, your climate team will have to speak together because your forecasting will have to now be impacted by climate change. And this is something that it's being demanded in a type of reporting and a type of forecasting that companies do with their shareholders. Because if not, you, you, you're putting a material risk that for the business and not disclose it. Because it is, for as a, as a shareholder, I want to know if I invest money in this company, would it actually be exposed to, you know, the effects and monetary effects of climate change? That's one. Um, in terms about why the leaders are doing what they're doing, especially some of the clients that we work with, and we work with clients like Renew IT, which is like IT recycling. Uh, we work with, you know, companies in professional services, project management, uh, events companies as well. Is the whole thing about they know that is actually, of course, the, the moral aspect of like, trying to do better. But they're in such a good position of power that they can actually trickle down on the industry and become leaders. And the, the sooner you do it, the more advantage you have over your competitors because you are seen as doing the, the right thing. And it's really important also to pair that between, like you said, just the measuring and the reporting with action um, and, and intertwining those together is working really, really well in terms of like, just establishing yourself as a business. So, so w what we have talked about till now, Afonso, is is uh, the three stakeholders, which includes the employees, um, the business leadership, and then the shareholders. Uh, there is another stakeholder, which is kind of regulating uh, the laws, and that's the government. Um, what what kind of role do you think, you know, it's not a part of our today's topic, but I think that it's important for us to discuss that as well because it's an important stakeholder. What kind of role do governments uh, can play actually in this situation, in this scenario to regulate certain laws uh, for businesses in the coming years without yeah. making it too forceful for them to do certain things? Uh, definitely. I think one, especially for Australian businesses, I think, uh, a easy way to manage like the legislation or like reporting mandates is to just look at Europe as an example. You know, we, we are a bit trailing behind and even how we are adapting things into legislation is really based on things that are already being done overseas. Um, so when you're saying it's being too forceful, I think it's just a, a matter of like being creative. It's like just look at what companies are doing elsewhere because most likely Australia will follow. It's not going to come up with a new way of reporting or measuring or so forth. Um, so it's really predictable in that sense. The role that it has to, to play is that, um, I mean, you can also deep dive into like aspects of like circular economy who need to be kind of co-funded by the government and so forth. But it's really the aspect of kickstarting certain industries. And it's important to note about the moment that, you know, legislation 
um is that in terms of like reporting you might also kick that a lot of like the consulting aspect it might not be material in terms of like production but you might kick start other parts of the industry such as okay now people will pick sustainable suppliers these are suppliers who have invested money into machinery into technology into research and development to create better products you know recycled plastics um you know um electric vehicles uh, uh heat pumps uh, energy efficiency in, be- in in buildings and it's all a trickle down of saying become more sustainable and now these companies have to invest in products that are uh, uh, better in, in theory. So I think that's kind of the role that it plays. The, the other role I think that the government plays is where things like grant money goes, right? If you if you identify certain areas like, you know, happening with EV um, or even reporting, I think it allows smaller companies or innovative companies to take more risks. Um, I think that's really, really key in this in this space where we have to move quite fast. So a, a combination of like legislation and grant funding kind of can match in Mary Belt to, to accelerate the space. Yep, I think that's, that's pretty interesting because um, I feel that government has a big role to play here as well um, in regulating a lot of things because um, otherwise, a lot of businesses um, might not be able to understand what's what's the right what the, what's the right step for them to take in the near future. Uh, George, what's your take on that? Um, and do you have any final questions before we kind of wrap up for today's episode? Well, firstly, in this country in particular, I question I question what the government's going to do because I don't think the government really knows. Um, even even the lot that we've got in now that is supposedly far more proactive about it than than the Liberals. And for everybody that wants to have a go, I am historically and traditionally a Liberal voter. So if I bag the Liberals, it's not because I don't like them. It's because I think they're worth bagging. Um, I I think all political parties spent far too long trying to work out the best way to avoid it but not lose votes. Um, and I think the sooner that government actually makes a decision and commits to it, the better. Um, what I don't like, though, is when we hear ridiculous things like um, I'm trying to think of the gentleman's name and um, that we're going to have um, um, 40% of all vehicles will be electric within five years. Impossible. You can't. We can't build the infrastructure to make it happen. So... So what happens is the, the the business world and the consumer says, well, that's just stupid, and then and you lose them. Um, anything you do needs to be an achievable target and it needs to be something that brings people together and brings them on board. So I think the first thing we need is governments to actually give us something to show us um, that they actually know what they're talking about. And then the next thing would be to get the hell out of the way and let business do it. To to I think it's um you, you bring a good point about you know one thing are like ambitious targets you know the other thing is like realistic targets but I yeah. think we can be ambitious as long as we propose plans and and try to stick to it and if they change they change and it can happen at the government level and at a company level right if you set an ambitious target for net zero by twenty thirty five fantastic ambition will help you get there if things change if things become a barrier that's fine you, you you know 
be accountable and say, okay, we've we've had to misstep to, to, to the side. But having a roadmap on how to get to those those paths, I think it's it's really, really important. It's not necessarily directly in in alignment with what you're talking about. But if you take the example of we're going to have renewable energy and we and we're going to have renewable energy and it's going to do all this and it's going to be fantastic and we're going to have solar and we're going to have wind and we're going to have this. And now we look like shutting down two, two coal-using power generators or uh, power units, and we don't have the renewable energy to replace it. So what happens is me and a whole lot of people start arguing about the stupidity of that, and you lose the support that you could have had for a realistic, sustainable environment target. So governments... Governments make these weird and wonderful deals or ideas, and they don't. They don't. They don't do the end play. Yeah, you know, they just don't do the end play. Um, if we have a couple of power stations turned off within the next couple of years that are supposed to be turned off, we do not have the ability to replace that power. So then the next thing is people like yourself that are trying to make a real difference. You start to talk about sustainability and you get thrown into the same basket as this other thing, and then we lose we lose the support again. It's it's you know, it's just crazy. So we won't um, we'll let it happen, George. We'll we'll, we'll stick to the plan. <laughs> that's what I'd like to hope yeah. we see. And and yeah, yeah. I, I honestly think, Sarab, the more the more the business understands it and the more the business decides to do it. Go ahead. We're going to be because if you're going to regulate it, I didn't. I don't that. trust. I don't Could trust you the again? Where did that sound came from? I have no idea. I think it was my 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 Siri started speaking. Apologies. Ah, that's fine. Yeah. We will we will definitely keep this uh, snippet you out for our LinkedIn brother. Started. Sorry, was that? I said he didn't press his anti-Big Brother button. Yeah. <laughs> what what the... I was saying is I will specifically keep this particular three-second snippet of Siri for our LinkedIn snippet for sure. <laughs> um, well, thank you so much, Afonso. I think it has been a really, really good discussion with you. And, and uh, I'm sure if you know we can play a small bit of role uh, towards contributing uh, to a better world uh, in which, uh, you know, we don't see these kind of incidents like bushfires and floods and these kind of things happening. And probably it can reduce over a period of time uh, instead of just increasing and increasing every year. Um, you know, it will be a big contribution from our yeah. side. Definitely. And, and I think, so just, just on that is like, you know, like people like George, yourself, and even in, in this platform in the podcast, right? There's so many opportunities to kind of influence businesses to kickstart their journey. Like if I like a BNI as an example, you know, how can you educate those decision makers um, to start making change? What does it look like to bring uh, companies like NetNada, like you know, other people in the space to kind of move them ticking along and say, let's let's try it out. Let, let's do the measurements. Let's let's report and see the benefits on the other end, right? Uh, because I think they need to be able to de-risk. They're, they're so short in how many wishes they have. Okay, if I'm going to invest X in doing this analysis and, and complying, can I see what I get on, on the other end? And I think inspiration from people like yourself, George, who are navigating the space, 
can can help these decision makers uh, along for sure. Perfect. Um, well, Alfonso, uh, thank you so much again. And um, I, I also want to thank you for uh, your confirmation on one of our upcoming live events that we are doing in Sydney in November. So I hope to see you there as well um, and talking about a very interesting topic um, there as well. Thank you. Looking forward to it. Thank you so much. This is an ultimate global podcast. Hello, and welcome to our special weekly podcast on trending international and social affairs. You're listening to Saurabh Kora and George Mavros from Sydney.